0: I want to, um, let me announce the text, and you can be finding that. It's John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. But I want to pick up on where David uh, was landing at the end of our time of worship and singing. I appreciate so much um, the um, emphasis he's placed on the Holy Spirit and the songs, his comments. I understood his comments very well. Also, that the third person of the Trinity is often um, uh, the most misunderstood of doctrines. Someone said the sin of the Old Testament was the rejection of God the Father, and the sin of the New Testament was the rejection of God the Son, and the sin of the Church Age is the rejection of God the Holy Spirit. But I I want to lay a little groundwork before we get to the text this morning. I I hadn't intended on this. It's not scripted. It's something that's been rattling around in my head and heart for the last five minutes or so. But I want to say to you in a a personal way, in a loving way, in an encouraging way, that if you can discover the reality of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life as a Christian and, and develop disciplines that will put you in a right relationship with the Holy Spirit in your life, you will move into an entirely different dimension of Christian living. When Jesus was going away, and David made a, an allusion to this in John chapter 14, the disciples were concerned about the fact that, that Jesus was going to leave them. But he said, and I want to make sure I tell you the exact verse, it's in verse 16 he said verse chapter 14 he said I pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever that word helper is taken from the word paraclete parakletos. it is a word which means to come alongside it is a word which even carries and conveys the idea of a railing on a staircasing that you put your hand on and grip for security and safety as you're navigating up and down steep steps. One who has come alongside. I'm looking at the New King James Version. I'm not sure how other newer translations may have uh, what they've done with verse 16. That's one of the challenges today with the, such a proliferation of translations. I'm not always sure that we're on the same page uh, but in verse 16 of John 14, Jesus said, he will give you another comforter. That word another in the original language is a word which literally means my other self, one of the same kind. Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying to his disciples, when I'm going away, when I ascend into heaven, I'm not going to leave you without a paraclete, without a helper, without someone to come alongside you, without an enabler. I'm going to send my other self. And the other self of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the personality of Jesus, the power of Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 with that capstone verse out of that uh, epistle said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he said, I live, yet not I, but, what did he say? Christ lives in me. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Christ in you. That's a, that's a wonderful thing, and I... As I have planned and feel prompted to to preach on the Holy Spirit this morning from John 7, uh, David has laid a wonderful runway for that sermon. And some of you are saying, yes, I wish you'd hurry up and get off the runway and get on with the sermon. Well, here we go. Look at John 7 and verse 37. This is a powerful passage. It's a very familiar passage, but I want to dive into it this morning in a in a way that I pray God will use to encourage you and me. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood. That's a significant word in that verse. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me As the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Pause for a moment and say, what on earth did he mean? Well, John knew we would ask that question, so he wrote verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus... Was not yet glorified. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word to bless the hearts of the people and to glorify the name of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wonder. I wonder if I'm the only person sometimes that have some of the feelings and concerns and challenges that I tend to preach about. Sometimes when I'm preaching along the lines of a comment I'm about to make, I look into the faces of the audience and I'm thinking, well, they don't understand. They're not struggling with this. It's not a problem for them. And what I'm about to say may be that for some of you You may look at me like, well, I don't understand what you're saying. It's not a problem to me. But I I want to ask, do you ever feel as a Christian that you're just going through the motions? That it that it's that, that it's something you just kind of have to to consciously make yourself do. Like getting up, coming to church, going to Sunday school, being in a worship service, serving through the various ministries of the church. Is there life there? Is there vitality there? Is there impact there? Is there joy there? Is there a passion there, or, or are we just going through the motions? I've had periods of time in my own life that I have felt that I've just gone, was going through, have, had gone through the motions. I, I'll tell you, when that happens, it, it's, it, it's an exhausting thing, isn't it? It's an exhausting thing. It doesn't have the joy that should accompany worship. It doesn't have the joy that should accompany serving God. It doesn't have the joy that should come and accompany with just living day by day for Jesus. It becomes more of a drudgery, just a going through the motions. Now, I may be missing the target altogether here this morning, but I can tell you I've preached in places and I've preached in my own heart to this very point that I'm making. And when I run into it, when I, when I experience it and when I see it, it's typically because there has become a disconnect with the power source in the life. There has become a disconnect. You see, when Jesus made that promise that I was opening with, I, I will send my other self, I will send another comforter, and he will come with you and he will abide with you. He will be with you. And other places in the scriptures said he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is there all the time. And one of the great discoveries that we can make in our Christian life is that God never requires anything of us. He never demands anything of us that he does not provide the power for us to do whatever he requires. God God doesn't expect you and me to live the Christian life apart from his divine enabling. God does not expect us to do the work of the kingdom apart from his divine enabling. When you stop and look at every aspect of the Christian life, you could name one to me this morning and it will fall under the statement. Anything that God requires of you and me is an impossible task, an impossible task apart from the fact that God himself enables us to do what he has told us to do. And I see Christians all along the way who are dog-tired, weary of trying to be a good Christian. I don't know if I did it here before, if I've done it here before, if I've asked this question. But I have along the way over the years. Just, just stop and say, how many of you are trying, trying really hard? You're giving it your best. You're trying hard to be a good Christian. Well, that seemed like a trick question. but I would discover that the first time I ever did it because hands went up everywhere. Yes, I'm trying. They didn't know the follow-up that I had coming. It was a little bit embarrassing. I'm glad no hands were raised here this morning. Are you really trying hard, hard, giving it your best shot to be a good Christian? And we say most of the time, yes, I am. Well, my response to that is stop it. Because the reality is you can't. You can't. Just let Jesus be Jesus in you. That's that... Galatians 2.20 to a little tune. Jesus be Jesus in me. No longer me but the resurrection power. Fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. Our only hope is Christ in us. But back to John 37. I went back to the runway for a moment. I hadn't gotten off the ground yet. So here we go. Why did Jesus say this? Why, why Why are these verses here? Why is this whole statement... Here. The context amplifies loudly the very reason this statement was made. Verse 37: On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out. Now, this is, a, this is an annual event, the Feast of Tabernacles. Over a million Jews have come to the city of Jerusalem. For a time of remembrance of their wilderness wandering and of thanksgiving for God's great provision during that time. They build booths of and little lean-to huts is a better way for you to envision this. And they put the palm branches and they leave their homes and they actually go out and sleep under the stars, as it were. They go back to that nomadic lifestyle that they had when they were in the wilderness. And all of this they're doing as an annual remembrance of that wilderness trek and God's deliverance and His provision. One of the things that occurred in this event was the, the priest leading a great parade of people down the street from the temple all the way to the Pool of Siloam. And he had there a, a pitcher in his hand and he would gather water from the pool of Siloam and they would go back, they would march back, parade back to the temple and to the altar. And there were silver funnels that were placed there to take this water and they would, the priest would pour the water and it would go down across the altar. And they would do this every day. For six days. And on these occasions, they were shouting and raising their hands and giving praise and glory to God. The symbolism of that moment. But on the last day, and that's where we are, on the last day, the same thing occurred. They're parade down the city street all the way to the Pool of Siloam, all the way back. Marched around the altar this time seven times. Commemorating Jericho and his great victory, or Joshua and his great victory at Jericho. But this time, when the priest raised the pitcher and turned it as though to pour water, there was nothing there. It was an empty pitcher. And on that closing event, on that closing day, on that last day, after all of that celebration, that last symbol is that in spite of all that we've done, We still come to a place of emptiness. None of our religion, none of our ceremony, none of our rituals, nothing else we've done has moved us on any further. We have now come to the place that the thing that we have to celebrate is our disobedience to God. So they had come for a great celebration. In today's language, we'd say they'd gone to church. And they were having a great service until the end of... And then they realized they were only going through motions. They were only exercising symbols. There was nothing of any power, nothing of any consequence, nothing of any change in anything that they were doing. They'd come for a great event, but on the last day, they're going home empty, as empty as the first day. Going home without any transformation, without any change, without any blessing, without anything being different. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, across America this morning, there will be thousands of people attending church and thousands of people leaving church with no change. They'll go right back home the same way they were when they came, just as empty, just as thirsty, just as lonely, just as hopeless. Because they have not yet moved beyond the fact that this is not just a ritual. It's not just a ceremony. It's not just going through motions. It is an encounter with a living God. And it is to bring about change and transformation in our lives. I was a pastor for a long time. Most of you know that. And I'll tell you one of the deep burdens... That I still carry as I reflect back over the years that I served as a pastor was standing as I would do Sunday by Sunday before the congregation I was serving, and I would see a remnant of folks who were getting it. They were hungry for the things of God, they wanted to be disciple and mentor, they wanted to learn, they wanted to grow, they wanted to go. There was a hunger for the things of God. And then I would see another group, still part of the same fellowship, good folks there every Sunday. That came in, sung the hymns, gave the offering, enjoyed the fellowship, and went back home in the same condition they were in when they came. You say, well, what's so bad about that? Just kind of going through, you know, no no big deal. Well, it wouldn't be such a big deal if there wasn't a divine expectancy of you, and me by our Heavenly Father to be constantly in the process of transformation into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, there's no stopping place. There's no no coasting place in the Christian life. There's no, let's just get comfortable and take it easy from here on out. There's no place like that in the Christian life. The Christian life is in constant motion, and it should be in constant motion forward. And Jesus now is dealing with these folks. Now, let me hurry on. I've taken a little more time than I need to or should, but I want us to see two or three things from this text. The first thing I see is that Jesus saw the condition of the people. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He saw their thirst. He saw their thirst. Now, what is thirst? I've thought about that and I have a definition. A thirst uh, is a, conscious, a consciousness and an awareness of a need in our life that is unfulfilled. If I'm thirsty for water, if I've gone long without drinking and my body is beginning to crave water, need water, cry out for water, having to have water, then I become conscious that there is a need in, in, in my life and that need is hydration, that need is fluid, that need is water, that need is a real sustenance of life. And I become thirsty and I'm aware by this extreme thirst that I have not had the intake that is going to sustain me. And we have a consciousness of that need. And Jesus chooses this word because it really reflects exactly what happens in our spiritual lives. You see, the thing that we need to stir up, I think, more than anything else and learn how to, and I'll be talking about it a little bit tonight, is how do we, how do we have that hunger? How do we develop that thirst? But here is a, here is a thirst. It's expressing itself in, in, in desperation. And Jesus cries out, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Now, he illustrates this in a very real life experience just a few chapters prior to this in chapter 4. You remember when he was there at Jacob's well at Sychar and, and, and he was sitting and resting from uh, just the heat and the journey and the ministry. And the disciples have gone into town to buy some food so they can have food to eat. And Jesus is resting. He's just sitting there resting and waiting. And a woman comes in the middle of the day. A Samaritan woman. You know this story. There's no need for me to take time to amplify it. She is is a woman who's been married five times. She is a woman who is living with a man who is not her husband. She is a woman who has come now to the well to get water at noontime. The other women of the town... The other women of the town went early in the morning or late in the evening. No person gathered their water, at, collected their water at noontime in the heat of the day. Why is she there at noontime? Because she can't associate with the other women. The other women wouldn't associate with her. Here's a woman whose life shouts emptiness. She has tried again and again and again with man after man to quench her thirst. To fulfill her heart's desires, to meet the very basic and fundamental needs of her life. And to have meaning in life. And Jesus is having a conversation with her and that conversation reveals to us Jesus already knew. He knew her quite well, he knew her inside out. But she's hearing herself talk. You know, I've learned something about counseling over the years. Counseling is not so much what I say, but what the person that's being counseled says. And I've learned something. If I'll be quiet long enough, they'll answer their own questions. (laughs) You know, they get at it pretty soon. And it's always better when they do that than when I do that, because if I tell them what the answer is, they don't do anything about it. But if they get it themselves, it's better. She got it. And Jesus said something that turned her upside down. I can give you a drink of water. I can give you a drink of water. And if you'll drink the water I give you, what did Jesus say? You will never thirst again. That is a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. You will never thirst again. It will quench every. Your deepest longings, the deepest desires of your life can be satisfied in Christ alone. Drink of this water. And when she heard that statement, she asked Jesus, Give me a drink. I want some of that water. Give me a drink of that water that I will not have to come to this well again. I wonder if I'm talking to someone this morning that's thirsty you've kind of depleted life you've been in the motions and you're finding that you know pretty soon the these motions which are rooted and based on our human energy our human talent our human abilities pretty soon we just run out of gas and we come puttering to a stop and realize that there's nothing within us that is capable of meeting the standards and the requirements of God. The second thing I see in this text is that Jesus extended an invitation. He extended an invitation. Not only did he reveal the fact that he knew that they had a condition, which they were thirsty, but he said um, he he extended an invitation. If anyone thirst, let him come to me. This is very important. I mentioned when we were reading a moment ago that the word stood. I hope that word is in the translation you're using. Jesus stood because this is key. It's key to amplifying what is happening here. Prior prior to this moment, he'd been sitting. He was a Jewish rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. He is observing this Old Testament ritual of the Feast of Tabernacles take place before his very eyes for the whole week he's been watching. But I can assure you he was sitting and watching, but when it came time for him to speak, he did not maintain the posture of a Jewish teacher. The Jewish teacher sat to teach. Jesus stood up. Why did he stand up? I think to amplify the the the, the power behind what he was going to say, because for someone to stand and to speak as Jesus was doing that was that was a a, a replication of a an imperial messenger, an ambassador representing a king or a governor standing and giving an official announcement representing the one who has all authority and when Jesus stood up that's exactly what he was doing. He was giving an an imperial proclamation, an imperial declaration, an imperial invitation if you are thirsty Going through rituals and going through religion and going through ceremony is not going to quench your thirst. I'm thankful that there's a difference between religion and Christianity, aren't you? Religion is man reaching up to God, Christianity is God reaching down to man. Jesus is saying, Come to me. He didn't say, Come to a Bible study, He didn't say, Come to church. He didn't say come to a denomination. He didn't say come to a mission board or a mission activity. And all of those things were under the umbrella of who we are as Christians. But first and foremost, we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're doing any of those other things that I listed before you come to Jesus, you're already on a road to some disappointment. Come to Jesus first. Come to me The invitation that Jesus extended to you and to me is a personal invitation. It's personal to you this morning. He's speaking to your heart right now. He's saying, come to me. 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 It's an incredible invitation. I don't know why we have to try coming to so many other things before we come to the one who really matters. Come to me. You say, is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. It's that simple. Come to me and drink. And out of your heart, out of your innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Jesus made this promise. Rivers of living water. Now, I'm telling you, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Rivers of living water. He didn't say a triplet. He didn't say a creek. He didn't say a brook. He didn't say a stream. He said a river. And I was born spent many years in Gadsden and lived two blocks from the Coosa River for ten years. And I can tell you for sure he wasn't talking about the Coosa. And though the mighty Mississippi is one of the great rivers in the world, it wasn't the mighty Mississippi or the Tennessee or the Mississippi. Rivers of living water. I want you and your imagination just to follow me for these next couple of minutes as I land back on the runway here in just a minute or two. Would you travel with me in your imagination to South America, and let's go right up on the pinnacle, way up on the snowcap of the Andes Mountains. Let's walk around a moment. The frozen ground beneath our feet is crunching. Here and there we see little just little streams, the size of my finger, little streams of water coming up through that ice and flowing downward, down the hill. And here another and another and another. As high up as you can go in the Andes, here that water comes. But those little streams of water begin to merge. They begin to merge. And they form a larger stream that forms a larger stream that forms a larger stream. For thirty six hundred miles this stream travels. At one point in that journey it becomes the Amazon River. And do you know that the Amazon River, the most powerful river, flows down that mountain and along the the, the baseland and to the ocean. Did you know that the that the Amazon River has so much Power and so much force that when it reaches the inlet to the ocean and hits that salt water, that 1.4 million gallons of water per second are thrust into the ocean. That thrust in power is so great that from the mouth of the Amazon, 60 miles out into the ocean is fresh water. Not salt water, but fresh water. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty powerful river. Well, that's in my mind as an image when Jesus said, come to me and drink and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I need that. Ezekiel's river in chapter 47, you remember he saw a man with a line in his hand measuring a low stream that began at the throne and moved out across the desert. And a line in his hand, Ezekiel said, when I went to the first place that he stopped with a measuring line, I stepped into the water and it was ankle deep. He said, then I moved to where he stopped with a measuring line the second time and it was knee deep. He said, I went to the next point of measurement and it was waist deep. He said, when I went again, the water was over my head, a river that I could swim in. But what Ezekiel said about his river was that it was in the desert. But he said everywhere that river flowed, everywhere it flowed, vegetation began to rise. And now the river surrounded with lush vegetation. Animals that were not there are there now. Fish where there had been sand on the desert ground. Now there's a river filled with fish, filled with life. What's Ezekiel saying? He is saying that when the river of God flows even into the death of a desert... That life, life comes from that river force. I think Jesus is saying the same thing to you and me. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Amen? I pray the Holy Spirit is finding that place in each of our lives this morning. Let's stand for prayer and preparation for our. Song of response. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the marvelous listening attentiveness of this congregation this morning. And I pray, Lord, that if your word has spoken to one person who should come and declare in a public way what you've said and done in his or her life, that that person would come. Lord, if there's one here who is not a Christian who has never received, even the first time, come to faith in you to receive the Holy Spirit. I pray that person would come to Christ today, place their faith and trust in Him, and receive this free gift of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in them. Bless each of us as we wait before you. Father, I'm aware that each of us or under the verdict of your word this morning. May we have the wisdom to respond obediently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.